You're listening to Two Therapists in Therapy, a podcast about self-growth, parenthood, relationships, and all things therapy. I'm Sarah Brill, a licensed clinical social worker, licensed marriage and family therapist, and EMDR trauma therapist. And I'm Becca Moravec, licensed professional counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and certified Enneagram practitioner. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Becca. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Good to be with you. It's good to be with you, too. How are you feeling today? Oh, man. So many things. Um, I'm coming out of a really hard week that has been pretty dark and heavy and um, a little, like, suffocating emotionally. Um, And today I'm feeling light, like the first um, semblance of light again, which is such a relief and such a reminder to me that, um, that no feelings ever stay forever, which is so hard to remember when I'm in the thick of it. I always forget that, (laughs) that it's going to go away. I, I just saw somebody who interviewed Maya Angelou and when they interviewed her, she had them write down these words. They she said, write this down and keep it with you. And maybe it's a little cliche. It's, I don't know. It's cliche. I, it's I think I'm the one that posted it. That every, Did you post that every, it? <laughs> that every storm. I posted it this week because it's how I've been every feeling. Every storm runs out of rain. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, then that's where I saw it. Sarah. <laughs> so I'm just telling you what you posted. Yeah, but, but it, yes. I'm glad that, that you're it bringing it up because that's how I've been feeling. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it does. Every storm does run out of rain. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. But it's hard to remember when you're like all the thunderclouds are just going like crazy and it keeps pouring. So anyway, yeah. So I'm feeling like I can see the sun and I feel it's the warm, the warm rays and like everything's going to be okay. But it's been a rough, it's been a rough week. So, um, yeah. How about you? How are you feeling? Well, thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, and even if you were still in it, I'm glad to be with you. And I'm glad that you're feeling the warm rays today. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's connected to what we're going to talk about too. So I can share more as we dig into things, but yeah, share how you're feeling. Yeah. I think I am feeling, um, happy and I just had the, I just had the, uh, desire to go happy because my daughter learned to say happy. It's oh like one of her God. early words and it's like the cutest thing ever. Oh. And she goes, happy. Um, <laughs> I cannot wait to hear her do that. Um, and I think it's because we say it about her so much. We're like, uh-huh. you're so happy because she's so happy. Uh-huh. Um, but I am feeling happy and I'm feeling integrated. And I think that I go in and out of this. And I think you'll hear me talk about it a lot this season about being, you know, a year and a half almost postpartum of like just feeling more integrated. I like went into my office two times this week. I am recording this podcast right now. I had a lunch with one of my colleagues um, today and I had lunch with a friend on Wednesday and that, that used to be like my norm. And now those things take so much effort, but they're less effortful, effortful now. They just are, it's more, I'm more in a flow and a rhythm of being 
more than just mom. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, there's such a shift. I feel like when that happens. Yeah. And I like for me, as I was listening to you talk and thinking about possibly having another baby, I was like, oh, God, I know I don't want to go back through that first phase again, even though that's like it's a precious baby time yeah. um, and like not at all wanting to fast forward through that in any way, shape or form. But it is also like a really hard thing of not being fully integrated into your life when you become a new mom. It's just um, so overwhelming and so hard to balance everything. So it makes me so happy that you're feeling like in balance and look at you. Look at us juggling all these amazing things at one time. Yeah. And so I think that's, I mean, connected to different from like storm of sadness and hard and dark. Um, but that like things are temporary, like seasons are temporary. They just, they just are. Yeah. And, and I loved my season of being insular and I didn't know how I'd ever do it different. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, you just, you just, there will be a new season where you're doing it different. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And trusting that. Yeah. Trusting that you will get to that new season. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Um, I think we are talking about a few things, but kind of I think balancing like compassion is is maybe how I would say it. I think you might use other language and I'll let you use that language. So balancing compassion is how I'm thinking about <laughs> it. <laughs> Tell me how you're thinking about well, it. Well, I think this came up as a topic. Um a while ago because I I had been feeling kind of heavy. I'm dealing with a sick parent um, and a lot of the drama associated with things getting really hard and really bad and then things getting better and the kind of chaos around that. And I a friend asked me how I was doing and I was like, I think I'm in a compassion pit. Um which is not a psychological term that I'm coining, but it was a way that, uh, uh, I guess, a combination of words that felt like it encapsulated what was going on for me. Well, maybe you should coin it. Yeah, maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, what I meant by that was just that I I was in a space and I have been in a space of just like seeing where absolutely everybody is coming from and feeling their feelings really intensely. Um, not necessarily feelings that belong to me, but feeling other people's feelings very intensely in my body and, um, also feeling the powerlessness around like other people's pain that I love very much. And, um, just allowing that to kind of drown me, which is connected to my defense mechanism as a, um, leading with a type four personality. I am, very much it's very easy for me to internal to feel what other people to empathize and then internalize um what I'm feeling and somehow try to find some sort of responsibility in it so that I can fix or change it so which doesn't ever work by the way um so yeah like just I think what what I was kind of wanting to explore and then I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it, Becca, and how it manifests for you. But just this idea of like how being compassionate is such an important thing and is so helpful in staying connected in relationships 
And also it can reach a point where it becomes merging, where we lose ourselves and uh, take on what does not belong to us and we can feel like we're drowning. Yeah. And then it no longer is compassion, I would say. Yeah. And it becomes maybe codependence um, or merging. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe that's Ouch. what we're talking about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I think, I think that's Child like, of an alcoholic <laughs> over here. Duh. Right. But that's the threshold of like yeah. where does our compassion merge over that line into codependency? Yeah. Right? Because and because I think so many people who struggle with codependency or people who um, have deep empathy or people who are empaths can really struggle with like, well, how, what is that? What is that line? And how do I hold a boundary there? Because that feels so like opposite of what my heart is calling Mm -hmm. me to do. Yeah. So I'm just curious before we like dig into this more on like a psychological level, I'm just curious when I use the term compassion pit, which I know is, is not your terminology. Can you relate? Yeah. Let's use the word. Okay. I was just giving it to you. I do relate to it. Okay. I absolutely relate. I one time was dealing with, um, somebody and some betrayal and my therapist was like but I had so much compassion for this person who had harmed me and hurt me and I didn't want to and I don't know if this is how you this is probably not exactly how you relate to it but I remember her telling me somebody else can be there to give her this empathy and compassion and you don't need to um and that was really freeing for me. So that feels maybe a little bit different. No, it, it that okay. resonates. Yeah, yeah. But so I, I got to, yeah, because it wasn't allowing me to feel my feelings about mm-hmm. it because yes. I was like caring for her yes. when I didn't need to be caring for her. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. That's what's so fascinating about it is like not ha- literally not someone else's feelings. Just what you said just hit me. Excuse me, sorry. Um, blocking your your the fact that you're feeling somebody else's feelings so intensely that you're not even feeling your own feelings. Yeah. That's wild. That is wild. And my and my other thought is I think we experience it differently because of our personality structure on the Enneagram. Sarah leads with a four, I lead with a two. Um, but I think we can really relate because yeah. um yeah, I my experience of it which may be similar, I don't know, um, is, yeah, is a suppression of my feelings because your feelings matter more mm-hmm. is is essentially where I can get into the compassion pit. Yeah. And yeah. Say more. What were you I was say? just going to say, and I think that's where when we talk about compassion, self-compassion has to be part of the equation or else it's it's not real compassion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard when that is not... I mean, I guess this is another philosophical question, but like I often in my work with um, my clients, I'm talking about the inner child and reparenting the inner child and listening to what the inner child needs. And then as the healthy parent learning how to to go into action around what the what the child inside is trying to communicate. And I think for me, I I did not have parents that helped me tune into my needs. And so um, being self-compassionate requires tuning into your own feelings and needs and, and learning how to do that in a way that is not reactive and is responsive and 
that is like a crazy skill set that if you're not like literally nurtured by your parents and taught how to do that from a very young age, I think many people have no clue how to do that. Yeah. I think we, you know, we live in a culture that doesn't like, that doesn't want us to do that either. You know, like, I don't know if this was just like growing up in Christian culture, but I don't think it was. I feel like I, um, like the golden rule, I don't know if you do unto others as as they would do to you, but it was about others. Like Mm -hmm. it was always about taking care of other people. Yeah. Like that is such a value, but not really. It's like not an actual authentic value (laughs) in the U S yeah, it's not, (laughs) but it's like this, like a false, like this false, um, slogan. Yeah. Slogan (laughs) that like we, like this ideal, um, and then yeah, you have a bunch of people running around like not knowing their needs, but also not actually being authentically caring about other people. So, yeah, totally. So I guess my my philosophical question is like, how do how does one learn to be self compassionate in your in your eyes? I think that for me, from my perspective, so for anyone, all my Enneagram twos out there is like letting yourself be needy. Cause I think that's like such a fear. Um, and my favorite when I'm, when I'm thinking about being self-compassionate and my first question is why does this make sense? So it's to notice, I think I have to pause and notice my self-judgment because I think self-judgment keeps us out of self-compassion. Um, so self-compassion and we're really good at doing this for other people, which is how we get into a compassion pit and how we merge and how we go into codependence. Um, and, but for ourselves, is saying it makes sense that I'm feeling this way or why does it make sense that I did X, Y, Z and probably maybe along the lines of the inner child work that you do in your practice, but it's going, it's going like, that's okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you need? Um, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. I was thinking I got a little bit distracted as you were talking because, Um, I was, and I'm just going to tell you where I got distracted because, um, yeah, I got distracted. (laughs) That's okay. Um, but when you were talking about how, when you said all of my Enneagram twos out there are afraid of being needy, Uh I think you said something along those lines. Uh I just had like three conversations today with people that, um, lead with two and have that fear. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't realize that's a, like a deep fear of the two and then you just brought it up again yeah so I don't know if that feels connected to our conversation but that's where my brain went well it's really hard twos are like I'm so compassionate to other people and I'm like are you because if it's not if you're not having self-compassion for yourself is it really compassion um and so or or are you just doing what you think you need to do to belong which is to not have needs Mm -hmm. and to give to other people Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah it's wild uh-huh. Because it's like we all want to be connected, uh-huh. like that do unto others. Like when I hear that the golden rule, do unto others as you would like for them to do unto you. Uh-huh. Like there's a part of me that's like, well, that's not a bad thing because we're stay like it's sort of like you're trying to stay in touch with other people and what they're needing. But the part that's missing is you staying in touch with what you're needing and what you're feeling. But mm-hmm. we don't want to obviously be like totally self-centered. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I think the call to self-compassion though, again, I'm going to talk from the two. And so I want you to know how it feels different for you, um, is 
um, and for other people, <laughs> but is um, when we are in a compassion pit, we might be, we're just thinking about other people and asking for self-compassion. I think people struggle because they're like, I don't want to be selfish or self-focused. Um, and I say, it's not about um, you being more important than other people, but it's about allowing yourself to be on the same level. And if you're on the same level, then there's going to be more conversation and more consideration of yourself um, in that. So if you're having, you know, to, to deal with all the things you're dealing with, Sarah, but you only are thinking about everybody else and not considering you and what you need, that's where it like crosses over that line. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But we're made to feel guilty or like we're being selfish if we bring up our needs Mm -hmm. when other people are having needs. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It Like I was thinking about how it manifests for me and it's less a fear of selfishness. It's more, which is interesting. I wonder if other people can relate to this, but for me personally, um, I, it, when I start to think about someone else's perspective, I, it, I literally feel the feelings and they, the feelings feel so overwhelming to me that it's hard for me to stay in touch with myself, if that makes sense. And so what do you do? Then I just try to fix it. Like I will, that's, I mean, I grew up trying to be my parents' therapist. Um, and so I, like an example of how my brain was wired was when my parents were dysregulated, I would just like feel everything they were both feeling and then try to get them to be in a different place than they were. And I literally couldn't even, the only thing I could feel for myself was just deep pain and anxiety. So not even, not even recognizing that my feelings mattered or had any information for me. It it was my only solace was like getting them to feel better. If that makes sense. Cause if they felt better then I would feel better. Yeah. But I wasn't even aware of my needs beyond them feeling better. Totally. So like my – the pattern I can get into that is so deeply wired when I'm in a compassion pit is like if anyone around me that I love is suffering, my focus becomes like I need them to feel better. Yes. So I can feel better. Uh (laughs) But it's not me saying, hey, I need to take a break from this because I'm overwhelmed. The healthy part of me understands to do that. But um, the deeply wired habitual place – inside of me has trouble even naming like what I could do for myself to help myself feel better. Yeah. So then what would true compassion? Cause that, that's like where it bleeds over. Yeah. Right? Cause that's into codependency. Cause that's what code. I think we talk about codependent people talk about codependency. It's kind of a buzzword, word, but that's what it is. It's like, I need you to be okay for me to be okay. And yeah. so I totally dissolve into like, if you, you know, if you're in a bad mood, then um, I'm going to just do everything to, instead of just like letting you have your feelings. Yeah. And so I think my question is what does like your integrated self, what is re- staying out of the compassion pit, but staying in compa- like true compassion? What, what, what do you imagine that would look like? Or what does that look like for you? Well, for when, and that's why I love, like for me, the idea of the inner child is so, it's like so much a part of my own healing is I literally imagine myself as a little girl. And I imagine her taking on so much that did not belong to her. And I imagine being a really loving, centered, like integrated parent and sitting beside her and holding her hand and saying, sweetie, this doesn't belong to you. What are you needing right now? Like what is actually going to make you feel better? And usually when I can visualize that and I can get myself to a centered enough place to 
have both my inner child and my healthy inner parent online, I can get a response. And I, and I realize like, okay, I need to put down what doesn't belong to me. I need to go exercise or take a nap or eat some yummy food or tell a best friend or my husband about how I'm feeling. And usually that helps get me back into balance. Um, but what's interesting for me about the compassion pit is it's just such a, like a deeply worn groove in my head. Like it can, especially in times of major stress, like, I mean, I can just get so lost in somebody else's pain. It's, it's a very easy place for me to go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which makes sense. Cause I grew up in an alcoholic home. So, um, codependence is often goes hand in hand with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is a struggle that manifests for a lot of people, um, in terms of like feeling things that don't belong to them. Yeah. I think that that's also like the, for me, um, is like this light bulb moment is that people are allowed to have feelings and like, you don't have to fix them. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. And, and in relationship, like in the couples I work with in my own relationship, that's really hard. It's that's so, so hard. hard. Right. If somebody's dealing with depression, then like, or is angry or is sad, it's like, I think a compassionate space is to say, I see your sadness and I'm also going to let you be. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to fix it. I can ask you, right. If I love you and I have the capacity, how can I come alongside you? But I'm, I can't, I'm not going to take on the responsibility of fixing it for Mm -hmm. you. It would be the boundary of to stay out of the compassion pit. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so hard in partnership. Mm -hmm. I think for so many couples. Yes. What do you, what do you notice is like the hardest with, in terms of the compassion pit with couples? Well, I think, I don't know if this is, I don't know if it's actually compassion. (laughs) I don't, I think it is more, it is more codependence. Yeah. And merging and merging. What I see is like, we want it. I want to be aligned in our moods or in our feelings about something. Mm-hmm. And if like my partner is having a different feeling than me, like that doesn't feel okay. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if they're having a more unpleasant emotion, um, then like I like like people like panic. Mm-hmm. This is where I think personality type is super fascinating because I think like I experience myself as pretty like porous emotionally. Like I really pick up on what other people are feeling like without even thinking about it. It's just, I'm very able to be one with other people's energy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think other personality types, like maybe a five, for example, or an eight, um, or maybe even a one, um, maybe a seven, uh, six two maybe I'm curious what your thoughts are but are not as like they're not going they're going to be able to maintain more of a some more armor in between themselves and other people's feelings yeah I mean I don't want to and I don't know yeah. that experience but yeah. I like I feel curious about that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I think that it also it's interesting because I'm married to a five and I think that he might be like, yeah, mostly, but I also think when he has, I think he can also go into a compassion pit, but it manifests much differently. Like, how do you think it manifests for him? 
um like through like obligation or i don't know like i think he also can feel deeply what people are feeling is it compassion pit just codependence is that what we yeah (laughs) we're just talking about codependence yeah (laughs) continue yeah so i think that all numbers can experience codependence Mm -hmm. but i think it manifests differently like i don't think it's like through like he probably isn't like feeling the feeling in the way that you feel although the four and the five on the enneagram are right next to each other and they have the they actually we have they have a pit in between them <laughs> and like we joke that it's the pit so i actually think fives go there uh-huh. but they just don't um but it's a di- the existential pit is different from the compassion pit yeah yeah but in feelings wise like i think we think fives don't feel deeply and they feel so deeply yeah yeah no for sure it's i agree with um, that yeah, sorry. We got <laughs> but yes, the, compa- the, the pit between them is not the compassion pit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the compassion pit is codependence. It's when uh-huh. I think I think you did name something that it's like we want to in a therapist. We like are like, I mean, we have to be compassionate and we are preaching compassion. But there is this like line where it bleeds over. Yeah. And where we lose ourselves mm-hmm. and where our own well-being is. um dependent on somebody else's well-being yeah yeah and And there has to be some agency on the other person's side I think yeah because even when I hear myself say well I think that maybe the like social worker in me or like the person who cares about social justice here is like well-being depend being dependent on other people's well-being like there's a part of me that's like yeah we should like all not be okay unless we're all okay like that we should care about each other enough that we want to change the world systemically so that we're all like have what we need to survive. Like, and I do think that has to come from a place of being willing to sacrifice some of our own well being to make sure other people are okay. Yeah. 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 Like it can't just be black and white of like only my needs matter. And so I'm just going to like tune you out because you're yeah, like, you are um, like impacting my own needs. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I think that's what we're talking about. Like what is the boundary of like being a compassionate human and then also not merging, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just an ongoing question. I, I do think it's an ongoing question. Yeah. Um, And I think the question has to come back to yourself of like, of are you taking care of yourself? Yeah. And not in this because my needs are more than yeah. everybody else, but if they're on the same level as everyone else. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give you a funny example. I'd love to hear. Like today I went to the zoo and I was like, let's go on the train. Um, and <laughs> we got there and the line was long and Chad was like, let's go on a morning when there's no line. And I compassionately understand that he like overheats more than I do. And like his needs were not more important than mine in that moment. But I got to be a considerate partner and be like, okay, that's fine. Let's, you know, and that was a really silly example, but it like took, I could have been like, but I wanted to take my daughter on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't, there's not, and he could have had compassion to me and say, she really wants you know, and so I think it's a culture of consideration when we're in a relationship mm-hmm. that leads us to being compassionate people. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I guess there's one more nuance I want to add in. Um, how are we doing on time? Um, I I think Marcus and my couples therapist always says, like, she talks about the um, 
the, I think she calls it the intimacy cycle where you're each partner is thinking about how am I feeling? What am I needing? What might my partner be feeling? What might my partner be needing? And both people are always thinking about that in partnership. And the rule is like, if whoever is in more pain or like is in more distress gets attuned to first. And so like, I think that's a really wonderful rule of thumb in partnership. But then it also makes me think about like right now, like I'm going through a lot of distress with my parents and they aren't my partner. Like hierarchically, Marcus is the priority in my life because he is my partner. And then my child, all three of those two individuals come before anybody else. And it's hard because, um, I'm still in some sort of an intimacy cycle with my parents and am attuned to what they're feeling, what they're needing. But it's hard to figure out where, like, how to prioritize them based on their level of suffering. So I think it's hard. Like, it's it's difficult when your different different relationships in your life are going through really hard things and, like, how, how to figure out like how to, how to balance it, how much you can give, when to drop other things, what to drop. It's, I mean, there's no mathematical equation for it, but it's just making me think about, um, how I think it's a little bit easier to explain when it's partnership, but it's a little bit harder when the relationships are not your primary relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think you're right on when you say there isn't like this mathematical, like we can't talk about like, here's what, how to be like justly compassionate. I think that it's this constant evaluation of checking in with yourself, checking with others and staying aligned with your values and knowing that it doesn't always feel, mm, I would say that it doesn't always feel clear or, oh no, maybe, maybe you can have clarity, but I don't know that it always feels good. Um, because yeah, I'm glad you said that. That's a whole other piece of this continue. Cause I think that sometimes, um, having compassion for others and compassion for yourself, um, you might make a decision based on that and it might be the right decision and it might feel hard. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think I said that to you right before we started recording that like setting boundaries doesn't mean that it like makes things necessarily feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I, I used to like take on so much anxiety if I couldn't meet somebody's needs. Um, and that's part of staying out of the compassion pit though, is knowing like if somebody has a feeling because I can't meet their needs, I can be compassionate to them and say like, I get it. Like you needed this and I can't meet it and you're sad, but staying out of the compassion, pit means I can't fix that for you mm-hmm. because I've evaluated if I could or couldn't and I yeah. can't. Right. I can't. Mm-hmm. And, and for, for me, it's like, I can't, if I can't give it to you generously and I'm giving it to you out of obligation, then I'm like, definitely not doing, not going to do it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Easier said than done. Oh my God. So much easier said than done. Yeah. Like I'm like, yes, I need that. And uh, then it's like when, when it's people that you love so much and you don't want to see them in pain, it's so hard to be like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking about like seeing my parents in pain, but then also imagining seeing your child in pain mm-hmm. too. And knowing like you have to feel this pain to go through whatever you're going through to grow. 
Yeah. But also like the experience of seeing your child in pain. Yeah. And wanting to take that away from them is like really hard. Yeah. (sighs) So, you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's just easier said than done. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that's our job though, right? Like it is. Oh, it's for sure our job. Yeah. Like I'm not saying that it's but not even our job. In, but even in relationship, yeah. it's to not become codependent. Yes. It's to say I can have compassion for you and that doesn't mean I can fix it. It's, and that's how we stay out of the compassion bit. Maybe. It's just interesting for me. And I know we're, we're wrapping up here in a sec, but I, I just want to say like, it's interesting for me because I would say as a therapist and as a human, like I am like, kind of a boundaries queen. Like I love to talk about boundaries in therapy and I'm like very boundaried with my clients and I like am a super intense, like, um, like set your boundaries. And I'm just noticing, like, I personally am in a place in my life right now dealing with having a really sick parent where it's murky and it's hard and there's all kinds of feelings stirred up. And I'm just wanting to offer this out there to anyone else who is like struggling with setting boundaries. It is hard. Like it is not, it's so simple the way it's talked about on therapy podcasts or in books um, or with therapists, but it is, it's very hard to allow the people that we love in our life to, to have their own suffering. It's, and to not try to rescue them from it. It is, it is very difficult. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just wanting to to offer that compassion. Yes. <laughs> to myself and to anyone else who might be struggling to set hard boundaries. Yeah. Um and that's probably the start to setting boundaries is to have compassion for yourself and how hard it is. Yeah. Right. To say like it makes sense that I'm struggling with this because, you know, I love this person, I want this for them, and here's what's going on for me. Yeah. Right? Yep. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing a little bit about what's going on for you in your compassion pit. Oh, well, thanks for, um, listening and relating and sharing, um, all of your amazing wisdom. Thanks. Yeah. Do you have an encouragement? Yeah. I, I want to encourage us and our listeners to, um, be compassion champions. Like, like let's stay compassionate people. Cause that's what the world needs. And that includes the boundary that crosses over into the compassion pit that like we're good stewards of compassion and that boundary. Yeah. I love that. And what about you? Do you have an encouragement? Um, I think what I would say is um, if you're going through the storm, just remember that every storm runs out of rain. And, um, if you're struggling to have compassion for yourself, um, or if you're focusing, if you're finding yourself really much more focused on other people's pain, uh, trying to refocus on having compassion for yourself. All right. Yeah. Signing off. Signing off. Thanks for tuning in. Look for new episodes every other Monday and join in on the conversation on Instagram at two therapists in therapy.